welcome to the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast, connecting you to all things outdoors. Welcome to episode 141 from Panoramic Outdoors. I'm Sheldon Grant, and if you can't tell, I'm a little bit under the weather, but I took off my slippers and got out of off the couch to do a podcast with two of my best friends. Before we get started, though, I want to give out a huge thank you and a shout out to Canuck Outfitters in Winnipeg, Manitoba. If you're looking to get out ice fishing for some big greenbacks this winter on the ice, go check them out. That's CanuckOutdoors.com. They got a whole bunch of ice fishing packages from like pop-up shanties right to their like ice castles or like their ice houses or ice trailers. We had the chance to spend some time in it. We'll probably talk about it in this interview right away. But huge thanks to all those guys at Canuck Outfitters. If you're looking to get on the Lake Winnipeg, check them out. But Chase, Tristan, you're on the other line. Chase, how are you doing tonight? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. How about yourself? So Man, I'm just I'm tickled pink. Tinkled pink, tinkled, <laughs> tinkled pink. Um, all three of us are on online at the same time, so that's pretty neat. Yeah, that's a rare, rare, rare occasion, and uh, we we thought we could make it happen this last weekend there in the uh, in the ice shack, but uh, curveball, Sheldon gets the flu. Yeah, <laughs> sucks to suck. Yeah, Tr- Tristan, you made it out to the shack. What did you think? What was your first thoughts when you pulled in there? I was a little starstruck. That was that was honestly my first time being in one of those, and uh, you you could tell by the pictures they're nice. But like once you get in there and feel that nice, consistent heat, and and you sit back on the couch and have a rod in your hand and you're you're jigging from like a nice, soft, comfy couch. It's 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 a whole another experience. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, it was funny because when we got in there, Tyler, like a friend of ours, Tyler came out. So it was just Tyler and I for a bit, and we kind of went through the whole trailer. And because I don't know, I found like Tyler kind of wanted to still justify his shack, which I mean, his shack is awesome. I love his shack, but he was like, "Oh, well, that you could do this different." But this is really nice. So we went through the whole thing, and yeah, I think at the end of the day, we all agree it's pretty nice to fish out of. Yeah, not not a bad place, not a bad place to sleep either. Because um, also, if you didn't hear, there's um, three outfitters that have now permits to to host uh, guests in their ice shacks overnight on Lake Winnipeg, and uh, Canuck Outfitters is one of them as well. So, uh, me and Tristan, you spent the night the first night. Me and Tristan spent the night the second night, and. Uh, the couch that I slept on, like the bed that fold down, folds down into a bed. It's like a leather couch, just sweet. And it was uh, big enough for me to sleep on, which is awesome. Rarely, nice. you know, usually those places are pretty tight, but it's uh, worked out well for me. Tristan, I think, was a little yeah, snug I, under the dinner table there, but. It wasn't too bad, though, but like I was. <clears throat> I, I slept fine, but I was impressed by like a lot of the other features. Like, well, a we didn't have to get up and smoke the fire, which was nice. Mm-hmm. But like having like a Bluetooth device, Bluetooth speakers built right into the the uh, the whole unit there is pretty like a luxury item. Have having a washroom in the in the unit is probably a selling feature to some of the the ladies out there. I would imagine who 
don't have as easy of a time maybe sometimes going outdoors as the guys just stepping out the side of the shack mm-hmm. and uh even even the lighting was pretty like nice and stuff like that the whole placements were good i the whole time i was in there i was thinking like man this would it's a little more kid friendly too when i think about it like i, yeah. I wouldn't be as worried about one of the kids falling you know because when you're in the sh- the shack you're often elevated but these holes are like all like nice and level and stuff like that so like i th- I just think like it's a little more kid friendly it's comfy so if you wanted to like splurge or treat yourself like this is this is definitely something i would consider doing in the future again yeah and the floors are nice and dry in there too mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and then when i got first got there i kind of went through the shack there with with the owner and um a couple pro tips he said to take the mattress off the bunk bed and put it on the couch when you go to bed so i did that the first night oh. so it was like super duper comfortable um but yeah like tristan was saying the bathroom and everything but the the cool thing i liked was uh, i woke up at like probably quarter after 6 6 30 on the saturday and, and fired up that propane stove and had coffee perkin and uh, made myself a breakfast sandwich and stuff uh while i was like basically fishing so it's super nice and you just jump out of bed and, and be very comfortable you don't have to get dressed up or stoke the fire or whatever it was pretty cool mm-hmm. yeah and i like cooking on the wood stove just as much as the next guy but there's it's also kind of nice once in a while to be able to just spark that gas and not smoke yourself out of the shack because you're trying to make bacon in the morning kind of scenario you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah did you guys make some breakfast there the next morning or what i left you guys some food yeah yeah we we ate some of it we had uh some some of those breakfast patties and we toasted up some bagels and threw some of that herb and garlic cream cheese on there and made a little sandwich and that was breakfast nice yeah she was dandy man and have you guys been fishing like other than that like that's that was my first time ice like first time ice fishing this year first time getting my rods out and the crazy thing about it was that i talked to canuck outfitters like literally 20 minutes after I got off the plane from Florida and he's like, are you coming? And I'm like, Oh man, you know, Chase's got hockey, Tristan's family's sick. Like we're kind of last minute doing things. And he's like, no dude. He's like, just come, just grab your rods. I got everything else. So like, you don't have to bring anything. And that's what I was like kind of stressing out about. Cause I just didn't have anything ready. Right. Mm-hmm. But he was like, it was super cool. Cause he brought, yeah, he brought out flasher. He brought out, the drill he drilled all the holes got everything cleaned up when i got there it was like ready to go um i don't know where i'm going with this story right now but oh oh yeah so this is my first time fishing so anyways have you guys been out fishing at your shack at all or anything like that yeah we got the shack out there which was which is uh pretty nice um we got the kids down there and it's apparently in a pretty hot spot our buddy chris was down there the other day and caught 20 i think he said Walleye? Kept three or four uh, saugers, hot sauger bite. And uh, I'm going to head out tomorrow afternoon to the lake, so uh, I'll keep you updated on how that goes. But a little work project, and then uh going to do some fishing and see how it goes. Nice. Trist- Tristan? What Tristan? Yeah, uh, same thing. Out through the shack every few times. It felt good to get it out. It's set up now, and the, the sauger bite's been good. Went out to the lake once honestly i think i've gotten like two bites on the lake the whole time uh funny story there sheldon i didn't get any bites the morning after you left um until right at the very end i pulled up the last rod and i had a fish uh kind of nibbling on it so i set the hook brought him up through the hole he was foul hooked 
and then he gave it one shake and he went back down the hole like head first so he was he was gone so that was, that was oh, my wow. fish <laughs> but we, you guys got you guys had some luck out there eh yeah like um i got out there right before dark on friday and i i marked quite a few i lost two or three but i was i was like wasn't really fishing i was kind of like getting stuff like in the shack and getting stuff put away and fishing at the same time and i had actually put bells on my two rods so the both times i missed fish were on bells and i got over there and they're like whatever missed them but yeah then the next day i didn't i didn't get a bite the next day until after lunch till about noon and then we got i don't know maybe six or seven um so yeah it was good like it was good there for a couple hours for sure yeah, that was, that's what Tyler was saying too. Because we left, uh, we had some some family commitments there uh, in the afternoon, so we were out of the shack the next day by uh, just before noon, and we met Tyler on the way out. Said hi to him, and then uh, he was messaging us in the afternoon. Said, "You boy should have stayed out. That's an afternoon bite going on right now." <laughs> so, oh really? Typical, uh, typical scenario. Go, head out for the morning bite, night bite. Head out for the night bite. It's the morning bite. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I was, um, the other thing that I did do, and, um, of course we talk about every, every podcast episode, but I packed up all my wool love. I was supposed to actually meet up with you, Chase, and grab more wool love for you. Cause you got me a new package, I believe, but I'm super stoked about it because I've been wearing the wool love all the time. And I got actually a lot of family members asking me questions about it. And I think been doing a lot of ordering to get it to get some of the stuff and i've had actually a good um response about the north wall which is a sister company but like that north wall it's like the big advantages of it is that it's a little bit thicker right um my one cousin there that wears uh wool of tried the north wall and she just loves it says it's unbelievable it's a little bit thicker it's pretty much perfect uh for herself but if anybody's looking to get into the wool of brand or north wall you can head over to wool.love on the old interweb and you can check out all their their clothing there. You can put together packages, and you can use Panoramic 15 for $15 off your first purchase. And if you are on Amazon, they're there as well. So you can find that on Amazon.ca. But, yeah, you can get anything with Wool Love. You can get, like, three-quarter zip hoodies. You can get, um, like, women's leggings, long underwear, whatever. Chase, what's your favorite garment? You wear it all the time. Oh, man. So – for the everyday wear, I, I love wearing the uh, the uh, just the long sleeve, um, and it's just a, a crew neck, I guess crew cut long sleeve, and it's uh, like so comfy and it's fits like my arm arms pretty good, which is uh, ridiculous. And then uh, I also wear the the quarter zip down quite a bit, but I I wear it um, almost as another layer too because I I have like a I'll wear it over a gym shirt and I'll wear it to the gym or I'll wear it just as like around the house over whatever, you know, just as like kind of that mid layer style thing too. So I, I utilize that in a couple different ways. Yeah. Tristan, do you have a favorite one you wear or no? I'd wear those socks every day if I could. Those socks are so comfy. They are. They're super comfy. I wear the long johns every day, just being outside quite a bit. Like I just, even if I, I know I'm going to be in the office. I throw them on. I don't care. And I, it seems like I don't overheat. So I love that part of it. But, but when you do get outside and get walking around, you, you sure uh, are happy to have a pair of long johns on. That's for sure. Oh yeah. Um, 
Go ahead. What were you gonna say? I was just gonna say I wear the uh, the long johns and shorts when I'm working from home. <laughs> Comfort level a thousand. I, I've seen yeah. that. I've seen that happen. I'm not completely sure what's happening, but it, it does happen. Oh, normally, normally he's got a pair of Crocs on too. <laughs> that's why you only have two kids. <laughs> um, before we get going any farther, anyone that's listening, we have an awesome guest. Bob Azumi is going to join us here right away quick. Um, it was one, another one of those episodes that got it all booked up. I got sick. Chase and Tristan took the bull by the horns and had some conversations with Bob. So I'm, I'm super excited to hear it, but uh, we'll get that right away. I have one, two more questions for you guys, um, and then I'll maybe open it up if you guys have anything else for the intro. But um, making sausages, I know that's kind of been a thing we've been talking about in the group text. Um, have you guys got to that part of your uh, harvesting wild animals or – you guys having a sausage date here soon? Haven't put we gotta, any... we we gotta figure it out yet. Yeah, the uh, there's other parties in our life that have been using our gear and getting the grinding and the stuffing done, but it, it hasn't come around to us yet, eh? So we've we've got some work to do. We're tossing around a few recipes, but nothing nothing set in stone here. It's, it was a it felt like a busy fall, and even just getting the shack on the ice this winter was a a bit of a cannonball run but we got her done so now it's just gonna recharge a bit i think and then look to the sausage kind of recipe time nice yep that's the plan what about you um man we had a few things happen this year that is not normal for our group is the first thing is we actually before deer hunting season started we run out of sausage um but it just so happened that we had a friend there that had a bunch of trim that he's like, man, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be even get a process this summer. Like he was all worried about it. So we're like, Oh, we'll take it. We'll get it. We'll get a process. So we got a bunch of deer trim process this summer and got sausage back just in time for, for deer hunting season, which was awesome. And yeah, we, we harvested a couple deer this year. We'll, we'll be taking it to, to Obermeyer's and, uh, and getting some deer meat, but or some deer sausages made. We don't usually make our own. Uh, last year we did a bit of hamburger and stuff like that, like non-casing type sausage, which was super awesome. It works really good for like breakfasts and stuff. Um, but yeah, usually it takes over. It usually takes a while because they're super busy, but their product is phenomenal. So I yeah. can't complain. Yeah, that's good stuff. I'm. Uh, I'll. I'll trade you some of the Obermeyer stuff for whatever we make. I'll. I'll put that out there right now because I, I like uh, getting some of that for sure. Yeah, and well, that's the thing. I got to look through what you guys make, though, because usually you guys are pretty hot with your spices and stuff. So I'm very selective on what I get from you guys, but usually it's pretty good. I like, again, I've said it, I think last year, the same time that one sausage you guys made with like the syrup or whatever it was, and jalapeno, I think even. Mm -hmm. Man, it was so good. Like, I'll never forget that taste. It was like a morning, what was it called? maple, Maple syrup. Maple jalapeno bratwurst. Oh, fuck, was that good? I want one right now in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big maple syrup fan. I'll toss that shit on everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, And then I guess my last question, do we have any plans coming up quick in the next few weeks? January, February, February, or January is halfway over. Um, m- Month and a half, it's going to be March, March Madness, ice fishing, best ice fishing season time, but. 
Anything lined up? Yeah, going freaking, forward? freaking crazy, man. I guess there's a bit of a mule deer season still open, isn't there? Yeah. And uh, I don't think I'm going to partake in that. No plans to anyways. I got some wood cutting to do, and I got some fishing to do. And uh, I think that's all I got on the, the docket so far. Oh, yeah. I'm, at, I'm at the point right now where if I get a few good meals in at the shack, I'm going to be happy. That's that's nice. where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah, make sure you take lots of pictures of those. Those are always the best. I love uh, having meals at the shack and uh, reminiscing about where that deer came from or whatever. But, yeah, there is a mule deer season in Manitoba. I think it runs to – I think they even pushed it longer. I thought it was February, like, 15th, but I think they even pushed it to, like, just about March maybe. I'd have to double check that. Don't don't fact check me on that, but check it yourself. But, yeah, we've been – me and a couple groups of uh, guys in Nepal have been talking about going uh, at the end of January. So we'll see where we're at. Uh, maybe go for for a mule deer hunt in January and see if we can get a couple, but we'll see what happens. That would be sweet. That would be sweet, my friend. Um, but yeah, I'll throw the mics over to you guys. If you have anything else to say before we launch this one, I'm like I said, super excited to listen to Bob. I've been watching him freaking fish since I was, I don't know, ten years old, and we always make jokes. Oh, you just Bob Azumi that fish, and you know, you see those <laughs> those memes of the guys setting the hook super hard, and the you know. Anyways. Yeah. No, I definitely, he's, he was uh, like a household name around our place for sure. And, and it's uh, like I, I said in the podcast too, I was just a little surreal being able to have a chat with him. And he was a unbelievable fella, really smart, had a lot to say. And uh, I would uh, like to do another one with him if we have, if we could. Yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely surreal being on the podcast with him. You could tell he's he's been in the industry for what like four decades here. He just it was uh, he he knew so much and was just such a uh, like kind of slick operator, but also at the same time like just still super down to earth and uh, man the the energy that that guy has is unbelievable. He's telling me what he does in a day and I was tired just listening to him. So like I <laughs> yeah. I can I can understand why he got to where he is because he just doesn't stop. Non-stop. So it's, it's pretty wild, man. Yeah, yeah. Before we kick this out this episode off, I just want to mention one more thing just of what Tristan just said, and this is like kind of a question to you guys. But when you listen to like some of these um, these personnel that have been in the outdoor industry forever. And they've like got all this energy and they're still doing it. And like, we're not like, let's just say maybe you didn't get out that one weekend. Do you ever feel bad? And the reason why I'm asking this question is because I went to a, a Winnipeg alumni game, uh, Winnipeg Jets alumni game in Portage in like November. And we're sitting around this table and all these old fellas were like all standing around talking about playing hockey still. And they're, I'm looking at them. They're like 60 to 70 year old dudes still going out on Sunday afternoons, playing with their buddies. And like these ex, like NHL guys, ex junior guys, and they're like still giving her. And I just like after we're done this this hockey game, I like told my dad and stuff. I'm like, man, I feel like an idiot that I don't play hockey anymore. Like, did you did you get that feeling? Maybe talking to Bob a little bit. Like, I feel like an idiot. I didn't get to go fishing this weekend because he's doing everything. Yeah, I think there's like different realities there or different like kind of lives in some ways. Like Bob, part of me was like just in awe of like how much Bob could do and like how much he's done for the Canadian fishing industry and and fishermen and fisherwomen all across uh, kind of the nation here. And even even when you think about outdoor media, like Bob forged away in so many different ways. 
but he, he also made a lot of sacrifices. You'll listen, you'll hear in the podcast here kind of about just how much time he had to spend on the road and, uh, and what that was like. So, I mean, I'm not sure if I could do it, to be honest. Like, I, I, I'm not sure I could. So, like, I mean, I maybe it's just one thing that I recognize in myself. I love fishing, love hunting, but, man, I, I don't know if I could be doing it eight days a week, kind of like old, old Bob did there. Yeah, for sure. No, and I wasn't trying to get at that. I just meant, like, you know, some days I just think, oh, why did I get out today and you see these other, you know, people that are just pushing it right to the red limiter. I'm just like, holy shit, I just envious of them some days you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah. totally anyway Ch- chase you want to fire this bad boy up or you got anything else let's roll it baby they come in here but i don't know nothing there's just what's back behind me uh just a copier and a lamp and uh a window so there's nothing much too exciting behind me so i thought i'd give you give you some water <laughs> I love yeah. it. Yeah. It's, it's giving me FOMO for summer already. So yeah. Yeah. No kidding. I need some yeah. more weather. Uh, what, what's the uh, ice like out there? Your, your way, how much ice you guys got? We were fishing on about 14 to, well, the lake was a little thicker, wasn't it Chase? It's probably yeah, about uh, 18 lake. inches ice. Yeah. Well, that's nice for cotton. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Especially with those electric augers, you can cut 18 inch pretty, pretty darn quick. Yeah, so what do you think on this electric auger war? Anyway, I've been hearing a lot about um, uh, Strike Master being pretty good blades on them, cut pretty good. Um, the, that 40 volt they have. Of course, the uh, Ion there that's been out for quite a while gets pretty good reviews. But I've been hearing, uh, I've been hearing more times than not, everybody's liking that Strike Master if they could choose one out of the electrics, you know? Mm-hmm. Um but uh, my buddy just got one, but he hasn't got a lot of ice, so he's still using the hand auger. He's only going through, you know, six, eight inches, four inches of ice at times. Um, uh, just eastern Ontario, where he ice fishes, a guy that deer hunts with us. And um, so he hasn't even tried. He just bought a brand new Strike Master, a real cheap. They were like, gosh, I forget how cheap they were at Cabela's, but they went on sale uh black friday sale and it was no he got a canadian tire actually it was it was uh, less expensive there than anywhere but um he was hearing good things about that strike master so he ended up getting one but i've got an eye on sitting out in lake winnipeg somewhere we were at, last time we we're out there fishing those greenbacks with the snow bear and we had a i bet i that was probably the first trip i took it on and I had it mounted on the back and on our last uh, evening of fishing there came back and somehow the bungee cords must have come off and we didn't oh, have no an auger. No. <laughs> and of course, I guess I could have followed my trail back, but I don't think we even noticed it that night. I think we noticed it when we got home or something. Oh, geez. Yeah. A brand new one too. So that was a bummer. Uh, so I haven't replaced it yet. I still just got gas ones around and, and lots of drills like Milwaukee drills and mm. Yeah, waltz and stuff that are that are pretty good you know especially inside that um snow bear where you you can if you if you don't have you know crazy amounts of ice like you guys get you know you can just drill right inside it you know yeah Mm -hmm. well our our buddy runs um um oh geez i just had it and lost it what what kind of uh k a k drill oh yeah that's he runs it all winter in lake winnipeg pretty much and just it's like uh it's just shy of an eight inch uh flight on it but uh yeah they run it he's he's out every weekend and that's normally what he brings out to punch holes in yeah now that k-drill goes with any electric drill right yeah you can use a dewalt or or um 
um, any of them, right? Old um, or Milwaukee or a uh... yeah. I think he he did a bunch of research and they he's he heard that Milwaukee was the uh, the best uh, drill for it for whatever reason. So that's what he's been using. Yeah, I switched over to Milwaukee um, probably about four years, five years ago for all my boat rigging because I do all my electrics and electronics and all that on my tournament boats and and fun boats and stuff uh, every year. So I rig at least two new ones a year. And, uh, man, I, I like them so much better than anything I've used. And I used all the brands, you know, throughout my whole career when they started becoming popular, you know, and, uh, uh, Bosch and Hitachi and all of them and, and, uh, DeWalt and, and, uh, you know, just, you know, on and on. And that Milwaukee is amazing. I, now I, I've got my wife, she likes, uh, gosh, she's got a leaf blower and a hedge trimmer and a, a weed whacker and a, a pole saw. And of course, those batteries work on all of them, right? Yeah. And so the tools aren't really, and I got a chainsaw too. I actually bought one of their chainsaws nice. uh, and it's, it's pretty good. I mean, you know, it's, uh, uh, it gives you a lot of cuts because we got 77 acres here that we, you know, hunt on and stuff. And, and it's, um, you know, we don't have a lot of cutting to do, but when trees fall down, you know, we can chop them up with that, you know, it's not that big a bar on the chainsaw, but it works fine. Yeah. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, I just, uh, I just love it. And then I've got those bigger capacity batteries you can get, which would yeah, be yeah. better for ice fishing too. Right. Yeah. Um, and then I carry, I carry one with me in the truck all season long for if I have to work on any boats or, you know, put something on or take something off and that I can just zip it off real quick with electric yeah. drill. Yeah. Um, and just carry a couple small batteries with me in the truck. So yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of, kind of neat. It's nice having the right toys. eh? Oh yeah. It's nice. It's nice when you have, it's nice to use good stuff, right? Oh like yeah. Absolutely. Stuff. You know, I grew up poor in uh, Southwestern Ontario and I mean, we were raised by a single parent. And the funny thing is, is ever since I've worked my whole life, even as a kid in fruit farms and veggies and stuff like that, and then tobacco and all that on farms. So even when I was a kid, I bought the best rod and reel I could afford and the best this and the nicest lures and all this stuff, because I just like buying cool stuff, you know, that work, but <laughs> I don't know, a bit of a tackle hoarder now and junkie, you know, <laughs> let's take the word tackle, just a hoarder. I love everything. Yeah. I just, and you know, now that the boat rig and it's like, you know, on Amazon, you get these kits, you know, for like, if you need terminal ends, you know, for batteries, right? Mm -hmm. You get a kit with like 10 sizes in it. So I've got O-ring kits and connector kits and shrink wraps and, and this and that. And it's like, you know, I got so much stuff now for rig and, and I always want to be one year ahead, right? So, you know, if I want to make sure I got enough of the heavy gauge wire to, I'll rewire. Now, I don't know, maybe the newer ones, Every year I check on Rangers and see what gauge wire they're using. Sometimes I'll rewire those for all my electronics, you know, and, and put them in. But but in a lot of cases, uh, you know, I've always got enough stainless nuts, bolts, all that stuff uh, a year in advance. So that, you know, as soon as the boats come in, I'm ready to rock and roll and I don't have to run around and find everything. I got enough. So whatever I need this year. I always take note of and I reorder more stuff for next year. So, and then in the truck, I carry like these boxes, these Plano boxes. And there's, I've got one that's, you know, like a 3,700 size that's full of stainless hardware. 
and I got another one that's a smaller size that's just full of electrical connectors and, mm. and sods of little caps and, and covers and things that might break on a boat that I can just bang and replace it. And I'll spare a props and spare electric and spare batteries and spare electronics, uh, spare charger, all that comes with me on the road mm -hmm. tournament fishing. So I don't have to go to any service truck unless I need a lower unit or a mechanical issue in the motor. I, I don't even need to hit a service truck. I'll just fix it myself. So a lot of those big turns in the States, there's lineups at some of those trailers, you know, to get stuff fixed, right? So it's nice just to go be able to do it yourself at the hotel or wherever you're staying and not have to rely on, you know, waiting in line. Although some of those guys, you know, they're they're so good at it. That's what they do. And that it's nice to have them do it because they got the right tools, the right parts and everything else. But the thing is, is uh, some of those big water tournaments where we're beating the hell out of our boats, you know, it's nice to to just go. But anyway, I could talk all night. I better, better let you guys get I, I think that's the point there. <laughs> um, before well, we... Before we get on with it, Bob, I have to ask you, have you found a, a trailer trailer wiring setup that doesn't get demolished in a, a very quick time? Because that always seems to be the hard part for on our gears is the trailer wiring always seems to go. Well, the thing is, are you trailering down some dirt roads too? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, that's the problem is you, you start going down gravel roads with potholes and, and, uh, and it just they're getting beat up in any exposed wire or even wire that might be in the tube of a trailer if it's if it's if it's enclosed it, they get beat up and uh no and and there's no there's you know that's probably my biggest nemesis on rigging is wiring i hate it but i do it and i've got a tester i carry with me in the truck and i got a couple at the house here and nothing's worse than having electrical issues on your trailer and you know you're checking the source at your truck mm -hmm. and you're checking it on the other side on the boat uh, trailer side of the plug because you go okay is it getting power through that then you start checking at different points throughout the trailer you know to find out and and uh, you know it it seems like it's the weirdest places too that you have malfunctions on that no it's just you know I, I don't even know if there's any anything you can do about it other than yeah, you can check every connection, but some of them you can't get to because they're so far up in there and they're all zip tied up behind the lights and everything else and behind the running lights and that. Um, no, I, you know, I've got one one of my boats that's maybe two years old that's sitting out there that I still use some. It's uh, It's got an issue with the uh, surge brakes and I keep adding uh, brake fluid to it. Yet I see no signs of leakage on the driveway and you know it'll be down you know a few ounces which is enough to not give it enough uh, oomph to stop you know like you can tell even when you're slowing down stoplights and that that it's not engaging too to help slow down the vehicle so um yeah and i don't know where it's leaking you know and i i top it up probably three times during the season you know sort of like a slow leak in a tire right mm -hmm. you, know, you just can't figure it out until you uh, you know take it to a tire shop or whatever but uh um, you know, it's so minute, but, uh, no, I don't know. That's, that's a good one. I mean, I'd say, I'd say rewire the whole thing, but even then it's like, you know, you can put all the shrink tubing and connections, you know, solder them and everything else. But I, I don't know. I believe me. I, I remember, um, down in Georgia at one tournament and, uh, it'd probably be the single time where 
I almost but didn't get stranded running Mercury Marine. So I was down there in Augusta fishing this tournament, mm -hmm. and I had to jump my uh, motor to get back about 45 miles back to the weigh-in. And I got to a dealership that night, and the mechanic worked on it forever, looking, why is it not charging my crank battery? And if you can believe it, in the, the harnesses under a hood of an outboard, you know how there's multi-wires in some of the areas that are just, you know, multi-wires, and a lot of it's got the... Um, uh the um i don't know corrugated uh, plastic sheath on it you know mm -hmm. so it's all sort of zip tied in that and he's going through it and through. finally after about two hours he takes off one of those covers on the multi-wire and there's connections here there and he finds the one connection that looks like it's fine but it wasn't touching and it was in the middle of the harnesses under the hood of the motor in wires like there had to have been 20 wires in that harness and he found it and just reconnected and that was all it was was one little tiny wire affecting the charging of my crank battery right and i'd wore my troller motor battery so far down that i had to get a jump from another guy luckily i had jumper cables that this years ago but you know i got back but you know and they found it and it was all under warranty and all that it was a new motor but it's just one of those freak things right that some guy on the assembly line or girl or whoever probably just didn't crimp it enough, right? Mm -hmm. And it split out probably a millimeter out. You know what I mean? Um, and so, and I'm sure it was not that good of a connection for a long time, but then finally maybe the bouncing in the waves or whatever might have just separated enough. But yeah, that's the, and that's the thing. I mean, when you're dealing with so many things now with have a lot of electronics or, or that, and I had a, I had another one too, where on my trailer, one of my trailer lights this year or this past year, LED light was off. Um, sometimes a bit of it would work, sometimes it wouldn't, and and all of a sudden it all worked, and and then it didn't work, and it was driving me nuts. And I was checking every connection and going through the wire, going back, and finally, I, and when it all worked after it hadn't for off and on for a few months, I finally uh, stole one because uh, the dealer didn't have any in stock. They had ordered them from Arkansas. I stole one off another one of my Ranger trailers that was brand new. I hadn't finished rigging the boat yet. So I took it off because they were left and right sides and they're all custom uh, designed. That. So took it off, installed it, fine. So it was a faulty LED light that worked for the first year. And the second year it didn't work, which, you know, LED lights, either they work or they don't, right? So that must have been a connection in the light itself. And they're all sealed, right? So they're garbage like you can't, I, those those lights on that particular boat, you can't pull them apart and see because they're mm -hmm. all sealed and the wires. Replace the entire pod. Yeah, yeah, it's like you know, like replacing a light bulb and that. So anyway, that was a that was a weird one, and I I would have never guessed that because I've never seen an LED light fail partially and then work again, um, and and that. So it had to have been internal, but who knows? I have to go back to tiller with a two stroke and tinner and just <laughs> yeah, carburetor. <laughs> Hit the yeah. water, leaning mean. Yeah, but then okay, no forward-facing sonars and no. Yeah. <laughs> you might as well. You, you, if you do that, you know what's going to happen. Then, uh, then you you put all the electronics on, and you got other issues, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But hey, that's that's why I carry all the tools and junk with me. I mean, I'm ready if I have a problem. And I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of any serious problems. But you know, you never know. I mean, just we run rough water a lot, a big water and. 
you know, a lot of these tournaments we're, we're fishing is, you know, we're in five, six foot waves and that's sort of the way it is, you know, and one tournament we won last summer, we, uh, we ran, uh, let's see, 110, 110, so about 230 miles a day, two days in a row. Holy. Oh, you know, that's a lot of gas and a lot of pound. And then the, the, the first day we're going back to weigh in. And uh, we, it was two one-day turns. We ended up winning the first day and, and won like 17 or 18 grand. And it's funny because a poker run's coming at us on the St. Lawrence River. And we're running yeah. east, they're running west. And you get all these multi-million dollar uh, big uh, fast boats running at you with helicopters filming them. And, and there'd be like four or five at once and then one and then three or four and then another one and then a couple more. And we ran right through the brunt of this giant poker run that was on the St. Lawrence. I forget the name of it, but, um, you know, just trying to, you couldn't avoid the waves and we we're running tight on time. Uh, cause it was a hundred and, you know, over a hundred miles going back and, uh, you know, you're trying to baby your fishing alive. Well, by the same token, you um, you want to get back in time because you're looking at your watch and you're running. You're trying to keep your average speed up because you know that, you know, it's so far. And uh, in, but then you're also pushing it on fuel. We've already fueled up once and, you know, you're going to get back with only a few gallons left. It's so friggin far because you're using almost a full tank in the morning and a full tank in the afternoon to get back. Right. Because um, I think the range of my tanks probably about 100 and. I'm going to guess maybe on that boat about 120 miles, maybe 115, and you're running 110. But uh, and so you're always wondering every time you're giving it gas and not giving it gas and going through these wakes of the freight, oh, like not ocean, but the um, the big Great Lakes freighters that are going through it. And then these poker run boats and then the pleasure boats and big 20 and 30 and 40 footers, you know, going through. And yeah, it's 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 interesting. So far, though, still alive, not beat up. <laughs> Yeah. Did did Sheldon kind of give you the rundown of what we? I can give you any. You can take it any direction you want. You want to take it any direction. Yeah. Any uh, type of fishing, hunting, uh, I, camping. Yeah. Not really, but uh, yeah. I think we got a lot of good stuff in the start there, Bob. If you're okay with, yeah, you know, hey, go go with whatever you want. I mean, we talk about anything, man. It's just everything. Yeah. It's uh, you know, after being in this business for over forty years and still. I'm going to keep working till I, you know, probably till I die. You know, I, I finished the show last year and uh, um, no, I guess the year before, what is it? Yeah. End of 2021. And the idea was not to retire, but the idea was just to, uh, to, um, you know, go back to basics and that's, you know, doing promotional work and uh, in fishing tournaments uh, more on a mission, you know, and, and, addicted to competitive tournament fishing and the big deal i i i I mean i love tournament fishing it's the only reason i did the tv show i started the tv show in the early 80s was to support my tournament fishing addiction um (laughs) i didn't really care about you know you know being on tv or any of that stuff it was just an ends to a means you know it was uh, no real other reason and and i was starving fishing tournaments and doing promotional work for a living uh uh yeah i mean i was single and back then and it was in there you know 1980 81 when i started and for three years i did nothing but seminars appearances and tournaments and that's how i made my living and i 
I was a lot leaner and meaner then. Um, if I didn't make enough money uh, uh, at a tournament and couldn't afford a hotel for the next one, I'd just sleep in the back of my car and and then uh, cash a check at that one, and I'd be good for the next one, you know. And and that and that's kind of how I lived for those first three years. But I needed to do something else to support this tournament fishing addiction and other work I was doing, and that's why uh, the TV we started the TV show was, uh, you know, I just was at a family picnic by chance, talked to a. Uh, a distant relative uh, by my sister's marriage and he happened to know a little bit about production and video and stuff and and uh, I said uh, you know I'm thinking maybe I should do a tv fishing show to to sub, you know supplement this tournament fishing and promotional work and he said well I got a cameraman that does rock videos and does Joe Cocker and all this stuff and he shoots some tv commercials for me for couple GM dealers and a and a uh, jewelry store and some other things that this older guy my original partner Bob McGuigan uh, who I was talking to at this picnic said and so Bob says you know we can get him and maybe you know try something and so we went out and shot a pilot and ended up you know going around to TV stations and uh, peddling it and I think we got 13 stations on 12 visits in Ontario the first year and then went national the next year with it um, and uh and that was sort of the, the start of 38 years of doing the show. And at the end of 21, just before COVID, I'd come home one day and said to my wife and son, Darren, I said to, to the two of them, I said, it's about, I don't know, whenever, maybe a year before COVID, I said, you know what? I want to wind down the fishing show. And I shocked them because they both traveled with me. Like my wife, Sandy, would shoot all the uh, the photography stuff. And, and she'd also shoot the underwater cutaways and that with the GoPro and stuff on a telescopic pole and stuff. And then Darren was my cameraman for many years for over a decade. So um, nice. I shocked them, you know, they, they said, what? And I, but, you know, we had been there and done that for so long and I got to travel all over the world and fish with so many different, wonderful people that I just wanted to get back fishing tournaments and doing promotional work and uh and not have and you know we we shut down the radio show and the magazine after 30 plus years with both those a few years prior to that and um i felt it was just time to move on i mean you know there's podcasts like we're doing uh doing that right now i mean uh we're happening there is lots of youtube channels uh on fishing and there's specialty networks on fishing and you know when we started back in the early 80s and 83 with the tv show there was you know, not many stations across the country in this area, in the uh, greater Toronto area, there would uh, maybe in Toronto back in that time, there might have been, you know, half a dozen English speaking stations of which we would be on two or three of those getting into Toronto. Um, so we used to get really good coverage in those early years. And then on, um, I forget the big station in Chicago and and uh, all these different CBC and CTV and different stations and networks that we would run our show throughout the years in Canada, the coverage was good. And as I saw the viewers, um, you know, aging, and we still have a lot of kids that come up to me and stuff. And, and it's really neat to see, you know, they'll be wearing a fishing hat and like a Bass Pro Shop hat or, a, um, you know, some sort of logo on their shirt or something. And you'll say, oh, you're into fishing. Oh, yeah. And this kid will be like five, six, seven, eight years old. It's good to see. But but what I saw, though, is is the timing was right. Like, first off, I saw that, you know, viewers uh, were going elsewhere and doing other things. Um and we're still holding our own on global uh, TV network and stuff. But but I also 
I'd also been to so many spots in my life fishing. My bucket list is only about this big, but but it's this big for tournament fishing. You know, I mean, I I love tournaments. I like competition. I like the competitiveness. I like the, the highs, the lows, and not the lows that much. So they suck. <laughs> and, and so so that's kind of where where I was. I was just I thought the timing is right. And I'm 64 years old. You know, I mean. Uh, 40 some odd years in the business full time. And uh, I didn't want to ride the horse till I thought it was too late. I wanted to ride the horse. And I mean, the company was doing good. We had lots of good sponsors and that, but I'm still working with like nine or 10 of the companies that I worked with mm -hmm. in this new chapter. So it's pretty neat doing promotional work for them and, and uh, you know, uh, consulting and, uh, appearances and, and some social media stuff and yeah it's fun yeah it's uh, yeah like bob obviously the landscape's changing for media but i i was hoping to ask you about the the front end of the show of the real fishing show there because chase and i kind of grew up on on that show and it also like to me looking at it 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 struck a much wider audience than a lot of the other kind of outdoor shows that we would have considered like people who word fisherman knew who bob azumi is do you know what i'm saying like so like what was the the intent behind or like your kind of vision behind starting the show or like the the work be, behind it that really went into because it seemed like you really were able to to step into that that's that space and in, in culture in a lot of ways well you know weird thing about it is i um didn't really at at the start of it it was like you know, I'd talked to guys like Al Lindner and was good friends with Al and Roland Martin and Bill Dance, Jimmy Houston, and that guys in the States that had been doing it way before I started. There was nobody to really talk to in Canada about it. Red Fisher had done a show when I was a kid, but he only, and he was actually from Ohio. So he wasn't a Canadian, but he had moved here years ago. And he did a show of which, you know, Red Green, the comedian, sort of, you know, his show was modeled after Red Fisher. And so was John Candy's uh, uh, deal he did on SCTV, you know. Uh, um, and it was, um, you know, funny because at first we didn't know. We thought, you know what, we'll just do as many different types of fishing as we can with all ages from, you know, veteran fishing guides to kids, to women, to the, just anybody that liked to fish. And after a while, we, we, we found out that seems to work because it gets us a broad audience, um, you know, with, with viewers. Cause I still get lots of, you know, even back then, I remember in the eighties and I get little old ladies coming up to me and yes, <laughs> but they watch the show and that happened so many times that it was crazy. And, and, uh, you know, we went through an era of, of those early years in the 80s, 90s and, and stuff in 2000s where, um, you know, back before the Internet, especially, you know, the, the fan mail would come into the office and there'd be like piles of it every week. And it'd be like hundreds and hundreds of letters to answer. And it was like it was a chore just answering all these letters and because they were handwritten or some of them were typed on old typewriters and that before, you know, the computers became popular. And, and, uh, and we found that the letters didn't tell us a lot either because we'd get feedback on, Oh, I love it when you do a fly fishing show, or I like it when you do an ice fishing show, or I like the trolling shows, or I like the bass shows or, but it was so varied from the viewership 
that it wasn't skewed towards just keeners um like you know like we are that we love to fish it was it was just it was all over the map it would be some guy who was you know going on that trip of a lifetime and he said i saw that show you did at that lodge and i really want to go i've been you know wanting to go to somewhere like that my whole life i i'm saving up i'm getting ready to retire i'm going there and then the next one would be a 20 year old who said i want to do what you're doing can you give me some some tips or help on how to become a pro fisherman and so that the mail wouldn't really give us a good idea of what people wanted because it was so varied i could take 10 letters and not one of them would have the same theme or 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 ask or or just you know comments or or whatever it might be and uh you know it was uh, it was a very weird time because we'd sit in production meetings every now and then with my with my camera group and stuff and i'd say okay we, let's discuss you know what we're going to shoot uh, for next year next year and let's have a bit of a you know think tank here on what can we do to to make things you know different or that and it was never hard coming up with ideas of where to go in that because the the requests we get from lodges and and tourist associations and provinces countries to come fishing there were times where we would have like at least um you know i'm gonna say 300 to 500 locations to go through to narrow it down for at that time 26 shows a year and you know like and you know i'm talking about you know australia or northwest territories or quebec and you know atlantic salmon fish and you know walleye fishing and these are all trips that are you know all expense paid trips and you got to say to yourself holy smokes i i was living a dream going through that era of of being able to film anywhere we wanted for all these trips that were looked after by you know tourism or or associations or whatever and it was amazing um you know now that i look back i i can't believe it all happened when it was happening though i mean i was going wide open like for 38 years doing the tv show um just for just for giggles one year i added up the days i was on the road and because I was kind of tired in December, coming Chris, come Christmas, <laughs> I looked at my day book and I, I go, holy cow. The first three months, I was in 60 or 65 cities. 70 of those 90 days, I was doing seminars from Dauphin to Brandon to Kingston to Chicago to Detroit to, to Toronto, you name it, Sudbury, Timmins, you know, all over the place. I was doing seminars and appearances. And then I got really busy after that that first quarter um, of traveling to doing the show. And then the summer came along and I was doing all the bass tournaments every week. And then the fall got busy getting back doing all the shows. And uh, and I had spent 320 days on the road that year. And that was a very typical year for many years that I would be 290 to 300 days on the road every year. And, you know, that that went on for, you know, the better part of my 38 years of TV, because, you know, there were appearances for sponsors, there were sales meetings, there were conservation projects, there was a fishing forever that we, you know, raised money and donated back to, to fisheries projects, my, you know, of course, tournaments, the TV taping, the radio taping, magazine content we had to get and pictures and things like that. And, and, uh, and then contests I'd be involved in with various companies. So it would just... It, it was mind blowing. And so that whirlwind was so much fun 
but you know, you, they're sacrifices. I mean, I have two kids now that are adults that have given me both grandchildren in the last 13 months. I've got a <laughs> grandson, Tommy, and then I've got a Sophia, which was my son's daughter born last week. So I miss those two kids growing up, my you know, son and daughter, because I was so busy going wide open building, I guess you call it the brand, but I didn't even know I was building the brand. I was just busy working. In my mind, it was like stuff you had to do, you know, you had to do seminars, you had to do, uh, you know, magazine uh, stuff, the filming, the appearances. So a lot of those dream trips I did, it wasn't really like you'd smell the roses. You'd just go, 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 go. And, you know, I'd come home for a half a day or a day, and then I'd be gone for another week and come home for one night and gone for another week. And that's how the whole year went, uh, basically. And, uh, um, you know, and that that was happening in the latter years. And if we got the show done in the first day and a half, we are out of there if they were drive-tos. We didn't, you know, lollygag around and fun fish because if I was a thousand miles away from home, and it was during tournament season, and I got my show in the can and the commitment done. I'm like, okay, let's blaze back and drive, you know, 20 hours back if we were saying northwestern Ontario or something. Let's blaze back so I can get, you know, get my tournament boat, hook it up, and get an extra couple days practicing for the next tournament, right? And so that's kind of how I always thought, even you know, throughout the the trips, not the fly-ins, you couldn't because you know they get the plane booked and you're in and you're there for x amount of days and then you're out three four or five days later whatever it might be and and that so you couldn't really change any of those itineraries because they were carved in stone but on the drive twos it was in and out pretty quick and i think you know and i think a lot of the lodge owners i worked with over the years which were hundreds of them when i was doing those type of exotic shows as i referred to them they appreciate it because we weren't there just, you know, for, for a free trip. We were there to get our job done and then move on, you know, because, because, you know, I, as much as I, I love being at them, I also like to get back to my tournament fishing, which was most of the time uh, one coming up the next uh, trip, you know, so I'd kind of interspersed film and tournament, film and tournament, not even through the summer months, you know. But it was, it was a whirlwind, guys, I'll tell you. It is, and it still is. I mean, I just went through a crazy busy year because now that I've got this next chapter, I'm, you know, I'm learning, you know, my, my daughter's teaching me how to do TikTok and all that stuff. And so, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's different. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Yeah, sounds, sounds pretty haywire. I, I definitely uh, relate to a lot of the on-the-road stuff. For, for years, I was on the road working as well. And it's... Uh, it, it's it's nice to come home, but it's also nice to go back on the road too, and especially when you're doing something that you love. Well, don't you think it's addicting uh, being on the road too? If you like it, mm-hmm. you, you either like it or you don't like it. I like it. I love I love you know um, being on the road and living out of my suitcase. Um, even to this day, I I uh, I just I love road trips, just getting out there and going, you know. But um, the days of driving by myself, you know, 18, 20 hours in a day and, you know, going to a tournament in Florida or, or Alabama or wherever. And if I was by myself, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I like doing more than 12, 14 hours a day of driving. I still got friends of mine that are older than me that fish tournaments and they still can go like those 18 hour days driving and get a few hours of sleep and then spend the next several days on the water straight at a tournament. I, uh, 
I find that, you know, that takes a lot of, a lot of energy, you know, and uh, <laughs> that's harder to do now as I, I, I've been through it, but I, I do like living out of a suitcase, but it's nice to get home too. And I, I don't know. I think right now I've got probably as good a balance as I ever could ask for. You know, I can fish as many tournaments as I want and I'm just going through the scheduling now, figuring out for this year what I'm going to fish, but but, um, you know, got some some pretty cool stuff happening and working with all the companies, uh, you know, to fulfill what they uh, they they would like me to be involved in. And, yeah, it's uh, it's a little different. It's almost you feel guilty, though. I mean, I, I honestly wake up every day and I go through my to do list and I'm going through my day timer and, and I've got like 30 pages of to do lists, which is you guys would probably think, well, why would it what's on them and that. But there's boat rigging to be done and there's there's, you know. I'm getting ready. The spring fishing show is coming up and, and stuff. And, and there's some other promotions coming up and then I'm packing for a Florida trip where I'm going to goof off and do a fish in Del Florida and some family time down there and that, but you know, everything, everything that you do when you're traveling requires prep to get ready too. Right. And uh, it's like going hunting or fishing. Everybody, you know, thinks that, Oh, you just get up and go, but unless you live, you know, right beside where you fish and hunt, it's not always that easy, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The prep work uh, goes, definitely goes a long way. I, I, I'm really interested here, Bob, and I want to go back to before like early, early days before you even fished your first tournament. And and I'm interested in like, like you were talking earlier about growing up and, and doing some farming and just kind of finding work and, and, uh, and all that. And what, what was the, the pre tournament, um, life like before you got into really got into fishing then do you remember that first tournament that well yeah the, the first turn is very easy to remember because it goes back to fishing derbies right and uh, when we were little kids our dad took us to this kids derby called the rondo rod and gun uh kids derby or children's uh derby uh on lake erie on rondo bay and it was at the entrance of rondo bay and lake erie where there's a canal that goes out that all the commercial fishermen and pleasure boats come and go out of Lake Erie into the bay and multi-species uh, fishery, lots of different types of fish. And uh, this kid's derby, we'd line up on the old coal docks there and fish. And uh, my dad fished uh, in BC where he was born, um, you know, as a young man. And he always, you know, was hooked on fishing. So he raised us as a single parent. So my mom and dad split up when I was a year and a half old. They came from Toronto. Um, I was born in Chatham. I have two sisters and a brother that are older than me. And my mother decided she wanted to go back to the city, to Toronto, after they lived in the country for a while in Blenheim, a little town, southwestern Ontario. And... Uh, he said, well, you can go, but I'm keeping the kids. I want to keep them out here in, in the country where we live. And it's great country living. I like it. The community and small town living and that. And he was a chef at St. Joseph's Hospital. So he worked multiple jobs. He worked full time there as a head chef. And he, he worked in the tobacco fields and the vegetable fields, the fruit farms and slung beer at the Cadillac Hotel till one in the morning. He worked round the clock, basically, to raise us four kids as a single parent. But he always took us to this kid's derby when we were little. And we would win. My brother Wayne is nine years older. So he would win like the, the senior division. And then I would win like the junior division. And then all the other kids and, and my sisters would also win. And all the other kids in this Volkswagen Beetle that dad drove back then, there was nine kids in him would fit in this thing. 
I'd fit over the engine or yeah, I think it was in the back in the engine there, a little compartment. There was two or three of us, that little compartment that was tiny when I was small. And we'd go down to Fish's Derby and we'd always come home with prizes. And it was it was actually amazing time of our life because it showed us that you can have fun fishing. Uh, but there was also that competitiveness, like he'd say, now you know, keep your bait in the water. We're using worms and stuff. He say, you're never going to catch fish if you just got it reeled up, you know? So he'd always encourage us, keep your bait in the water, you know, fish around these pilings and fish along the break wall. Don't cast way out in the open water, but fish on the edges where the structure is. And he was teaching us all this as we were little kids and we were catching fish. And then he ran the first bass tournament when I was like 15 years old or 16 years old or somewhere around there where um, first bass tournament ever in Canada. And uh, he worked with a guy at the hospital who was an orderly there. And uh, um, uh, oh, what was his name now? Uh, uh, Murray King. So Murray King was an orderly who fished tournaments in the early 70s, late 60s in the U.S. And Murray would come back, you know, from fishing a tournament in the States and they'd be having their lunch break at the hospital. He'd be telling dad about these bass tournaments. This is way before Bassmaster was popular and stuff. It was just starting, but he was fishing on a circuit called the Bass Casters Association, which was, uh, I think, might have been even pre-Bass. I'm not sure pre-Bassmaster. So Murray would tell him and that. And so Dad organized and ran the first, uh, for a number of years before he passed away, the Rondo Bay Bass Tournament. And uh, that really got me hooked on competitive fishing. And uh, I was like, freaked out about how much fun this would be because it was draw for partner and I drew this guy who had a 14 foot aluminum boat and uh it hailed that day and we had to pull into this canal we were uh, near and get under a picnic table because the hail was so big and we sat under there me and uh I remember his name Gary West we sat under that picnic table till the hail blew through and and then I think I caught one fish that day or something uh and I, I don't know how many he caught but it had me hooked right off the bat and that then when I was like I don't know 18 I went in with a friend as a partner on a bass boat I had little boats before that but we partnered on a on a little high performance 17 foot uh, glass drawn bass boat with an 85 horse on it and uh and you know the rest is sort of history and I worked at a for the Ministry of Natural Resources right out of high school I worked for the Natural Resources actually I was the youngest kid working there with all the university and college uh, kids and you know can you imagine you're like 17 years old or um in between 17 and 18 years old and you're working with all these girls that are like 18 19 20 years old and you're like this is this is you have hit the jackpot you know <laughs> working in a provincial park for the natural resources you're cutting firewood in the fall and stuff you're 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 working in the police boat you're cutting grass you're you're doing all I, I netted fish for the museum I got to go take the uh the ministry truck out and net fish it was just an ultimate two years of my life it was only nine months eight months of the year contract work and then I, I got a job at a factory making trucks, uh, International Harvester, which turned into Navistar when I left, but at uh, the Harvester uh, factory in Chatham, worked there and and got laid off after a two-year stint, um, and uh, it was the best thing ever happened to me, because I'd heard they were trying to get Al Lindner into Toronto for the, uh, the boat show, Mercury was, and he was booked a year in advance, they couldn't get him. So a tournament organizer uh, who my dad and I knew, Brian Evoy told us this. So my dad and I, who was live at the time, we drove up to Mississauga, had a meeting with the marketing manager at Mercury Marine. And uh, 
I told him I wanted to fish for a living and I told him everything I wanted. And at the end of the meeting, he looked at me and he says, okay. And I was like 21 at the time, right? He said, now that I've heard everything you want, what can you do for Mercury? And that was my 101 marketing introduction to, uh, to marketing was Bob Patterson asking me that question. What can you do for Mercury? After I told him everything I wanted, I told him I wanted to be a pro fisherman, fish tournaments. I wanted to do seminars and this and that and, and whatever I, you know, whatever uh, it took, I wanted to do it, but he didn't, he, he threw it back at me and it was awesome because I, you know, I, I shrugged my shoulders and go, let me think about that one. Mm -hmm. And that was so neat that he said that to me because now my mind's going, okay, They'll sponsor you, maybe, if you can figure out how you can help them, because they sell motors for a living, right? They make and sell motors. So here I am, 42 years or one, 41 years or 42 years with, I think, 42 or 43 now with Mercury Marine. And, uh, and still some sort of record. Yeah, and I've signed them for this year, 2023. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's amazing. Um how things went over those years and and you know i i started doing seminars i remember doing those seminars of boat show i'd never done any public speaking in my life i hated talking to crowds i hated it when you had to read in class or get up and talk in front of the class and that i was more introverted so that that first show came and it was uh it was interesting because you know they had this world champion skier that mercury sponsored He'd do a seminar and then I'd do one. He'd do one. I'd do one. I think I did five a day for 10 days of that show. And, and I also manned the, uh, the Zebco booth, which was on the other side of the show. <laughs> and I was the only one manning that. And it was in a little fishing section. And luckily the guy from Cytex, which isn't even around now, but Cytex was an electronic company for fishing, fish finders. Uh, Peter Stickley, I said, hey, and I got to know Peter just because he was in the booth beside him. I said, can you make sure nobody steals any of this stuff? Because I got to run clear across the other side of the show. But the good thing is nobody knew who the hell I was back then. That was the first gig I ever did. So I didn't have like a lot of people wanting to talk to me after the seminar. I'd just finish it and I'd be able to run off after, say, 45 minutes back to the booth. And I wouldn't get, you know, stuck there for an hour and a half or whatever to sign autographs. And I guess nobody knew who I was because nobody was doing fishing seminars in Canada back then. So it was like, it was like the first it had ever been done. And I think a lot of people were, you know, still to this day would, would have said back then, what's that guy doing? He's talking about fishing up there, you know, <laughs> it, uh, it was pretty in the early infancy, infancy stage of this whole business, you know, but it sure has changed a lot. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Has there, has there been a moment uh, throughout your career here where, where you've, you've kind of thought and been like, I had no prediction that something like, like this would have happened or, you know, where you're at or. Absolutely. It... Cause you know, I, I, I was never like never money driven um, or never like, me the only measure of success would have been tournament fishing you know i mean that was kind of like everything i did was you're only as good as your last tournament so and you know tournaments have been good to me i i don't know i guess if i added up all the boats and won a chevy truck and stuff i don't know, probably be over a million dollars in tournaments over the years but that was always um you know just it was almost a hobby all those years because 
I had the TV show I had to do and the radio show and the magazine and appearances and seminars and stuff. So that was always just, uh, you know, and that's why I'm so excited about where I am now is I can focus a little bit more and not, you know, be doing 20 other things while I'm practicing for the tournament. I can, you know, maybe have a little bit more solid pre-fish scouting and stuff, looking around and that and, and, and that, but not, you know, I, I was really in the right place at the right time and probably not smart enough to give up because there were times like a lot of people don't know the the ups and downs of even the tv business and when you do a tv show like what we did for 38 years much like you know doing podcasts or 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 seminars or youtube channels is you know you need sponsorships to do it or just a love of doing it in another way to pay the bills another job um in our case you know buying video equipment having full-time staff i mean it was a roller coaster ride we had a lot of good years business-wise but we also had some bad years too you know and a lot of people didn't see those or hear about those because it's something you don't like bragging about or you're not going to go you know saying oh yeah we lost money last year or, you know we broke even or that but but we had you know some of those rough years just not in the early years too even like after we'd been in it for a couple of decades you know um and it's it's uh, like any other business um there were no guarantees you know all those times of doing it i remember at the heyday of the outdoor business we had 18 full-time staff that's a lot of salaries to pay you know and uh in a lot of mouths to feed and you know we were doing a lot back then but still i mean it seemed like i was always at the center of all of it and you know i'd be in all the meetings whether they'd be the financial end of it or or the sponsorship end or or being the upfront guy at the appearances or on camera or whatever it might be so um i don't miss any of that you know uh to be honest with you, because there were times where it just, you never, ever could leave work, you know, for like, I remember for years and years and years, um, you know, there wouldn't be any real family vacations. It was always work related. You know, if we're going to go to Florida, we're going to shoot some shows while we're down there. Even if we have the family, we're not going to go down there just for a vacation, you know, for quite a few years, it was like that just because it was kind of the mindset, I think, as an entrepreneur, you have to have that, you know, you got to give, uh, give it hard and go hard and, and, uh, and not expect anything. And my, my dad taught me a lot that I didn't know he was teaching me when he was alive. And he died when I was, you know, in my early twenties, but as the years went on, a lot of things he'd say would come back in my head. And he, he'd always tell me when I was a kid, don't take things for granted, be humble. Um, stuff like that that you know when you're young you kind of you know goes in one ear and out the other because you, you go what's he talking about and all that stuff but but i'll tell you as years went on i realized what he was trying to teach me was you know um you know don't owe anybody anything you know and always over deliver if you're going to do something and all those things came out as years went by and being in business that i didn't even know about when i started um, but I soon found out and then that Mercury meeting was the start of even though dad was alive at the time is you know now that I know what you want from us what are you going to do for us you know we know what you want what, what are you going to give back so um, but you know what it's been it's been interesting and worked with so many great companies over the years and you know past and present and I uh, I look back at, a, at them all as 
as you know wonderful opportunities and great learning lessons and uh but nowadays you know it's a different world and, and it's it's numbers it's uh you know we used to have contracts like you know big contracts with companies that were not even really there on one page if that contract and and or a handshake and there wasn't even a written contract with some of these big corporations nowadays you know the contracts are very very intense i mean there's there's you know anywhere from five to 25 pages of legal things there you know and it's uh it's changed a lot and i understand why because there's a lot of people with uh sponsorships and endorsement deals and things like that and and uh you know it's a big business and it's it's gone you know gone viral so to speak with uh with the internet too right so because it's at all levels and so many platforms now other than just you know standard media like tv and print and radio and stuff like that which which i was sort of weaned on so you know that that change it was interesting seeing all that and and even the video production like in the early years we were shooting on three quarter inch video then we went to half inch video we used to edit on one inch video when we started and this would be like multiple tape machines shuttling tape back and forth and stuff to do it and then we transformed of course into digital and things like that but even like i remember like our most expensive camera was a beta cam sp it was like 110 or 120 thousand dollar camera and it was only good for about three or four years and then it was a boat anchor because something new would come out yeah a couple of sixty-four thousand dollar beta cams at one point we we're shooting and lots of 40 and fifty thousand dollar cameras and now you can go out with a five thousand dollar camera and get this pretty close to the same result you know i mean ten thousand dollar camera for sure you can get the same result in in better quality than from those hundred thousand dollar cameras so that changed you know uh, a lot the production got got a lot less expensive and a guy could edit on a laptop you know instead of instead of having like the decks in the heyday were you know twenty five thousand dollars each for the beta cam decks and stuff like that and and you know after a while they become obsolete there's something else out there a new format so we went through so many formats of video production and just make your head spin and and of course the the production people were always learning right and they'd always be nervous about this next one coming out because they had just finished basically getting comfortable with that technology the last few years that came out so it was uh it was quite a quite a phase going through all that with my my people and and I think a lot of them got tired of me go 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 though because we get on the road and, and uh sometimes sometimes I'd say you know we'd finish shooting I'd say come on let's drive home and they'd say what all night and we'd just drive all night after shooting for a few days and and uh I think I burned out a few of them over the years but they were young <laughs> and I was young I couldn't do that now they'd burn me out <laughs> yeah are you are you I'm looking at your transition here Bob and it's like is are you relaxed when you're tournament fishing is that fair to say or are you still kind of like got the the rev limiter going you know the funny thing is the adrenaline's still there I still feel like puking every morning <laughs> and and you know that's one thing about it and you, know, you hear a lot of tournament guys will say it on camera and then they'll say as soon as you lose your enthusiasm you must not have a you know a heartbeat or something but it's true it's like it's like I love the competition of it and and I love to fun fish but for me it's I like competition if I had to pick 
but I like going out getting a mess of perch or walleyes or crappies or something that that we're gonna have a fish fry and I find that a challenge you know to I always want to be as efficient as I can at catching what we need for that fish fry you know even though it doesn't always happen that way as you guys know when you go fishing but and I think that comes with years of competitive fishing and years of doing a tv show where it was all about you know catching the most you could in a short period of time so that everybody wasn't you know especially shooting shows it it had to be boring for people behind the camera you know can you imagine standing there with and these cameras we used over the years were not like that big batteries on them and stuff but, you know, my son, who was my cameraman for over, like, maybe 12 years of that, and, and Tammy, uh, she was with me for years, and Doug, and all these people that shot with me over the years, they held these big cameras on their shoulder. And many days we'd be out there at sunup, and we'd be coming off the water late. And I remember going up Northwest Territories, like Great Bear Lake and that. <laughs> Doug and I, uh, in those years, we'd finish shooting. So we would shoot for maybe 12, 14 hours. And then we'd fish till one or two in the morning because it was still daylight, right? Then go get like three, four hours sleep and then get up and start filming again. But I remember waiting for pike one night, mosquitoes, black flies, whatever. They're just eating us alive. But we had so much deed on us that our lips would freeze. You know, we're just covered in, in bug repellent. And uh, he ran out of soft plastics and we're catching pike after pike waiting. He yells over to me, Hey, I need some more lures. I said, well, screw you. If you want some, come over here. I'm not waiting over there, you know? So he put on elastic band on his on his uh, hook and caught about 10 pike. And that's how stupid the fish were up there. <laughs> I guess the bottom line, <laughs> these fish hadn't been fished for before. And here we are catching them, you know, after we'd filmed all day, after we ate supper and, and filmed a little bit more, you know, on about nine or 10 at night, while it was still daylight, we said, we might as well keep fishing and go fun fishing. We put the waders on and just went at it. But, you know, those, those so many memorable trips, you know, uh, all over the world doing stuff that that that's why I say the bucket list isn't really that long uh, for, for. Yeah, there'd be a few other species I'd like to target and that. But it it's now it's just, you know, give me something. Give me something, uh, you know, walleyes, uh, panfish, uh, pike, musky, bass, anything. I It doesn't matter. I just I just love fishing. But I. Uh, um, you know, once I get out there, I have a hard time quitting. <laughs> now, I'm not always the earliest out there. A lot of these guys pride themselves. They tournament guys, hardcore tournament guys will always tell you this, like the U.S. guys and some of the Canadian guys that I'm the first one at the ramp. I'm there in the dark and I'm the last one off. I'm off the water at dark. And I, my partner, Jay McCormick, who fished the Renegade series with me the last couple of years, he'd be at the ramp in the dark and off the water in dark practicing every day. So I'd be at the hotel and I'd I'd get up at, you know, six in the morning and he'd already be out the door at like quarter to five or so or five thirty or five thirty, four thirty in the morning in the summer. And and, uh, and I'd tell him, yeah, we'll meet up on the water somewhere for lunch because we're practicing separate boats and stuff. And I'd always have all the lunch material because I like having a good lunch out in the boat there and, and not in the tournament as much, but in practice tournaments sometimes they don't even eat during the during the thing maybe a bowl of cereal in the morning at four in the morning or something but i'll meet up with them but a lot of times you know i'll have a bunch of emails and stuff to answer and that's so i'm on my laptop in the hotel room and that and he'll he'll send me a text at seven hey you doing any good 
And I'll say, oh, it's pretty slow. I'm still <laughs> answering some emails and stuff. And then at nine o'clock, you'll text me and I'm just getting to the ramp, right? But we're going to, I'm going to fish till dark. So I'm going to fish till eight at night anyway, but, but I'm getting on the water, like maybe at nine on a late morning and he'll text me as I'm pulling the ramp, anything. And I'll say, how are you doing? That's been, been pretty slow so far. Cause I haven't even been out. I haven't even thrown a cast yet. So anyway, I, I did tell him the truth that night. Usually I would fess up and tell him, you know, when you were texting me, I still wasn't on the water yet. I knew you weren't. <laughs> but I still put in my 10, 10, 11 hours, days, sometimes 12. Um, but he's putting in, in, in you know, his, his motto is I'll, we'll outwork him. Well, he's in his case, he'll outwork him. I won't, but that's how a lot of tournament guys are. And to keep up with it, and he's younger than I am. And and to keep up to these young guns, you know, you got to have it. That's why I'm going on that diet tomorrow morning. I, uh, I'm going to try this uh, diet. My sister, who's just uh, retiring as a family practitioner, doctor, she and uh, her husband went on. And so my, my son-in-law, daughter and wife and I are going to start tomorrow. And we're going on this thing with like some sort of vegetable cabbage soup. And one day it's all the beef and tomatoes you can eat. And it's like seven days of weird stuff. Uh, muffins uh, that are not the type of muffins I'd eat, but they're, you know, healthy muffins. You can eat all of those you want. I don't know. It's going to be weird. I'm going to be ready to shoot somebody. Well, I shouldn't say shoot somebody, but... And I'm going to be, I'm going to be very hangry probably for a week, but that'll be good. 13 pounds a week, they say. I don't know. If I lose, yeah, I can lose eight. I'll be happy. You should be posting your diet on TikTok there, Bob. (laughs) Yeah, right. Hey, I know, I know how not to get views. Take my shirt off and do a little dance around. You'd be surprised on that app. Yeah, yeah, Chris Farley style. I'll sport yeah. my nicest uh, thong and do a little dance. I don't think so. <laughs> well, I we don't want to keep you too much longer, but I got two questions to to finish off here on my end, anyways. And and uh, I'm gonna fire them both at you here. Uh, one is uh, you were just talking about your lunches and and uh, eating on the boat. What's your favorite boat snack? And two, what is say something that is on your bucket list i'm very curious about that well you know on the boat snack part is is like if any given day if you pull up to me out there on the water um and i'm you know fun fishing or pre-fishing before a tournament you pull up during tournament i'm gonna say hey and talk to you but i'm not gonna certainly feed you but any other day i've got probably about three types of cold cuts cheese really nice bread Dijon mustard, mayo, lettuce, pickles, uh, um, you know, you know, some, you know, obviously some good cheese and stuff. And, and it's pretty satin, some good cookies or chocolate bars or something. But I do like tuna salad sandwiches and, and also salmon. My brother's into aquaculture now and he's raising trout. And sometimes what I'll do is I'll take smoked trout or, or just some of the regular uh, rainbow trout that, that he has. And, and I'll make a tuna salad or a salmon salad. Mm sandwich and uh, i love those and i'll pre-mix you know that with uh, mayo and seasoned pepper and uh uh some green pepper uh pickles uh vidalia sweet onion and you know have that on a sandwich i really like those or on a bun or something um that's you know probably my favorite is you know more of a fish salad sandwich 
um doesn't weigh you down as much as you know a whole bunch of cold cuts i i keep hearing about cold cuts uh, some of them got a lot of preservatives in them you know all of them don't but some do and you're not the best to eat every day of your life so I try to, to mix it up but um bucket list um i i don't well one thing that is i've already done but i want to go back is is nipagon in northern ontario like when we filmed there it was unbelievable i don't even like talking about it too much now that i don't have the tv show i don't even like talking about it because it was so good the brook trout fishing was yeah. off the charts pike fishing i didn't get a chance to fish the walleyes but they say in the spring there's a couple areas where they just pile up in and you can catch like 100 to 200 walleyes per person a day um in the spring uh lake trout they say they average 20 pounds i find that hard to believe but the guy uh, one of the guys i i was fished with once there told me that he commercial fished and he said you wouldn't believe that the average size of lake trout's huge here we didn't target them but i'd like to get back there and target some lakers and, and also go after the brookies we caught a lot of four or five and a few six pound brookies when we were there we were only there for three days and we never fished the same area twice we 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 it's uncharted it's a giant lake mm -hmm. and ran three different directions we went first day with a guide to the closest area he knew where there's some brook trout from the ramp uh which is maybe 10 miles away and he said this is what you look for and he said you look for you know rocks and and gravel and sand and stuff like that just like smallmouth bass fishing and he said we won't get any big ones around here because this this area gets hit pretty hard but we didn't see a boat that day second day we go out we went like 25 miles one way and then next day we went about 30 some odd miles another way without a guide and that no, there's no map of this lake for depths or nothing so you're looking at your graph and you're in like 150 feet of water and as it starts coming up to 50 you take it off plane and then you keep island to see if it dumps down or it's coming up to a shallow shoal that might be subsurface right so we didn't see a boat in three days of fishing out there and how's that happen it's right off you know north of the trans canada highway and we don't even see a boat in three days and we had so much fun fishing and uh so i want to go back there um love peacock bass fishing in brazil that's just amazing they, they're explosive done a lot of trips there though but haven't been back in years uh venezuela was a lot of fun too um you know great bear lake even though i did a few shows up there and a few trips in the early years there in slave those were definitely worth going back to i mean they're friggin' crazy fishing for giant lakers and big pike and and uh you know grailing stuff like that so those were pretty cool um you know there's a couple of species would be neat like those tiger fish and and a golden dorado they have i i believe those mm -hmm. down there in uh, south america those would be fun to go for but you know it's just you got to look at the logistics to go to some of those places to catch those type of fish the just the getting there is a chore you know if you're going yeah. to africa or south america or something but they would definitely be potentials if if just somebody said hey we're going uh this is it you know uh you know uh either get on the train or don't but but i've done so many phenomenal trips to australia and tasmania and spain and south america and in you know every corner of the u.s and saltwater fish and bahamas and barbados and and on and on uh, costa rica and stuff that 
I haven't got too many of those bucket lists. It's just going back to a few of those spots I mentioned would be fun. Because I know what's there and I know how good they are. And it'd be fun to explore too and, and go to areas that don't have a lot of pressure in tourism, like just jump in maybe a float plane and just drop. That's probably the neatest thing, I think, if 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 it was sky was the limit is to get in, say, a Cessna caravan, which is, you know, fairly fast for a float plane and get into areas and you can get up, you know, fairly high and stuff because I believe they're pressurized in that and drop into lakes that you just see on your map. Mm -hmm. We and fish off the floats of the planes if you have to, but just or take a folding boat or something strapped onto the, the floats. That would probably be very enticing is to fish lakes that have never been touched before. But I have been to so many exotic places that you know haven't had a lot of pressure, like when Doug was catching them on a rubber band, those pike. Because yeah, yeah. some people that are up Great Bear, I mean, or that might have been Great Slave. That <laughs> one. They're, they're fishing Lakers, right? They're targeting Lakers all day and that. So, you know, we were targeting pike back in a, you know, weedy bug well, not a lot of weeds because it's so north but but uh you know shallow bay with a lot of bugs and um just you know shallow water where we could wade them and that and i guaranteed those pike hadn't seen a lot of lures because they really <laughs> like they let, really liked a rubber band that was about a third of an inch wide on a lot <laughs> it doesn't say much for the lure companies does it but, yeah. <laughs> but i do know from having being a lure junkie that you know having the right bay the right time is key but that was you know an example of fish that had never seen anything before you know yeah mm -hmm. but yeah it's uh you know we all but believe it or not when fish are that um uh sort of uh tame or not tame but not fish for and they're that virgin it actually gets boring after a while too because they're so easy to catch Mm -hmm. I've been to, to places I remember going to a place where we'd get a lake trout every cast on a river up in the Northwest Territories and I forget what river it was but it was on one of those trips where every cast you'd catch an 8 to a 12 pound laker every cast and and then I was up in Mastacini for brook trout once uh, with the Cree Indians and uh, we caught hundreds of brook trout one day in a river the last week of season where it's a lake that's like 100 miles long and all the the brookies pretty well go to this one end of the lake into a river to spawn so there's thousands of giant brookies up there and you'd catch a three to six pound brook trout they're averaging probably three and a half to four pounds the average every cast and there were so many the freighter canoe we had it tied up on the shore on some bush on a tree and there were so many that after a while you could take this much line off the end of your rod and just lower whatever bait you're using beside the canoe and they were using the canoe as a current break the brooks <laughs> you just catch them right here if you wanted or you can cast out and catch them i mean amazing fishing you know to catch you know three four five even some six pound brook trout um and obviously a trip of a lifetime but i'll tell you the the, the cree indian uh, guides that we had up there so tourism had paid for this trip okay and here a funny story here so there's a group of us there filming and quite a big group and and we'd gone to mistassini and we kept some walleyes we caught some pike we caught some lake trout we caught some big brook trout what a day of fishing and we were there for multiple days but the first day you know we're doing this big fish fry after catching fish 
and they stuff us full of fish, right? We're doing the, you know, good old shore dinner. And because tourism had paid for it, they also didn't tell us, but they had some really nice T-bones too. So they pull out these T-bones and put them on the open fire on the grill, you know? And there was one for everybody in the group and there were probably 12 people in the group total, including the guides. There's, you know, probably eight of us maybe and four guides, five guides, whatever. There was one, st- I remember looking out the corner of my eye and I can't even move. I'd eaten so much at the shore lunch because it was so good. Beans, you know, fried potatoes, the whole shooting match, you know. They put on these steaks. And then after they grilled them, they offered us a steak. And not one of us took one because we were all full. They didn't tell us. <laughs> but it wouldn't have mattered, right? Because we wanted fish anyway. But they all had two steaks each, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. They weren't stupid. They knew what they were doing. <laughs> well, they, they, they probably are able to get, get as much fish as they want whenever they want. So they when the T-bones arrived, it's cool oh, well, they commercial fish mustacini too, right? Yeah. So it's it's a big lake full of fish. Oh yeah, I'm sure they don't eat T-bones every day, and, and especially since they're supplied by the uh, the the big um, resort and uh, tourism we were fishing with. Uh, yeah, that was pretty funny. That was awesome though. They uh, that that was pretty coy. I like that. That'd be how I'd do it if I was them too. You know, fill them up on the the natural <laughs> stuff. <laughs> we're eating beef, boys. <laughs> they didn't say a word. <laughs> they were very quiet, very nice. You know, you would you like a steak? Not one, not one person talked one. That was awesome. Yeah, oh, that's good. My my last one here is uh I just want to know when we'll see the the real hunting show air. Well, you want to know the funny thing about that? I'll tell you the real scoop, and I've never told this ever on air anywhere. In the early 80s, uh, one of the stations running our TV show was CBC Windsor, right, right across from Detroit you know, in Ontario. And they were running, because we had a smattering of stations of like 13 stations across the province that first year. And uh, and then, you know, the next year with National and that, but it wasn't just all CBC or just CTV. It was just syndicated, as they call it here, there, and all over. So CBC Windsor ran us uh, amongst about three or four CBC uh, regional stations that did. And the program director there put us on at um 6 30 or 7 o'clock i think it was 7 o'clock saturday night before hockey night in canada on cbc and don cherry's grapevine was on the next half hour before or after us and for years all through the 80s we ran at this basically a prime time spot on a weekend evening different than any other station because all the other stations were like sunday saturday Saturday mornings typically Saturday afternoon Sunday time slots in the afternoon or morning and I asked him one day why are you running us like at such great time he goes well I'm against you know NBC ABC CBS all those network affiliate stations in Detroit across the border that have good viewerships so I just thought I'd run something different so I ran your fishing show something different against all of them knowing that we'd get uh, a select audience, not the giant audiences they were getting, but we'd get people that wanted to watch something different than what they were running and that. And then after we'd ran for a few years in the 80s, um, maybe 85, 86, 87, he approached us and asked if we would do a hunting show back then. And this was a CBC station, government owned and operated. And even back then, even though I grew up hunting, I mean, I grew up waterfowl hunting and upland game hunting and, you know, mostly small stuff and, you know, since deer hunted and moose hunted and stuff like that, um, you know, 
uh, over my my life. But back then, you know, I was you know hunted you know rabbits, pheasants, uh, you know woodcock, quail, uh, ducks, geese, and um, I said no back then even way back then in my 20s and or early 30s and the reason i said that is i thought it'd be too controversial back then and i didn't want to i didn't want to you know pick up that you know uh hot potato and 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 that because we'd get very few negative letters with the fishing show i bet you i could count them on maybe one or two hands in 38 years and the common thread would be, Bob, I'm a mother of one or two or three. And, and you know, I live in BC and, you know, I saw your show and you weren't wearing a life jacket. And, you know, I'd come back and say, listen, if it was windy or rough or, or we were fishing in heavy current, I'd be wearing a life jacket. But I was fishing on a very calm day or in shallow water. And I just personally didn't feel I needed one. And so I'd answer them back and just tell them the truth. I mean, I'd... I, you know, I can apologize all I want them, but yeah, they were right. I wasn't wearing one and that. So I get a handful of those I got in my whole career. And then a few on fish handling where I remember torpedoing some muskies in on a show like St. Clair, but that's the way everybody does it there. You, you're trolling when you're releasing them, you torpedo them in to give them that sudden gush of, of water through their, through their mouth, through their gill plates to get them back to revive them and that and i get you know letters like that from trout guys saying that's not the way to release a, a fish and that and 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 so that was about it just a, a, like less than two handfuls of negative letters i figured back then i would get bags of negative letters of killing animals on camera right even if you're going to consume them which we we most of us do you know for the meat I figured that was going to be, so I just didn't want to mess with it, even though I was a hunter. And, you know, you take, you take a lot of, you know, guys like the Beasleys who do the Canada and the rough and stuff. And, you know, you guys talk a lot about hunting on this podcast and that. And I think it's great because the tides have turned where there's so much hunting content on TV and on the internet that, you know, the aunties can't really target it too much because they'd have a more than a full-time job and they can't go after everybody. But back then, um, you know, call me a chicken if you want. I don't care. I just didn't feel like messing with the negativity because they could hit you hard because there weren't many other things to watch back mm -hmm. then. Like there weren't any Canadian hunting shows that I was aware of in the early 80s or mid 80s. So I would, uh, you know, we were having a, um, an interesting time trying to pioneer how to do fishing shows with microphones. And we went from wired microphones up our leg to wireless microphones as the technology changed. But, you know, now I'm thinking to myself, and as a hunter, I also said, shooting a fishing show can be challenging at times, getting big fish or quantity or action or excitement or good talk or whatever. Shooting a hunting show where you're waiting and waiting and waiting. And I talked to the Beasleys quite a bit, especially uh, the youngest one, Kevin, about, you know, their hunting show. And, you know, they have good trips and they do a great show, but, you you know, they have the occasional bad trip out there as we've all had fishing or hunting if you do it long enough. And, you know, sitting in a tree stand waiting for an animal and that thing doesn't show up till, say, six days into a six-day hunt. And you've frozen your rear end off and you're waiting to get that that perfect everything framed perfectly and say the right things. 
that is mind-boggling what they do. I admire people that get good video in the field doing those productions. Uh, I think it's wonderful that they have the uh, the patience and the stamina and the technology and the camera guys to do it, or camera guys, camera women, whoever. Um, but I, I, there was a lot of reasons I didn't do it. One would be the negativity. The second would be just my patience isn't there, to be honest with you. I Even to this day, when I deer hunt here where I live during the five-day shotgun hunt, I usually take a book or I'm on my iPhone looking at stuff and that my ADD sets in. I got to be, you see that motor behind me? I got to start that mercury up and run 60 or, uh, 60 or 70 miles an hour to another spot just to break the monotony, you know? Uh, everybody thinks I'm a patient guy because I fish for a living. That's the farthest thing from the truth. I run and gun and move a lot. And when I get impatient, I almost get bored and I want to move, you know, and that's why I burn a lot of gas and I run around a lot. That's probably why I like tournament fishing because you're constantly trying to figure out pieces of the puzzle. But I have to admit, um, as a youngster growing up, you know, hunting small game, you're always either moving or getting a lot of shooting in. But as I, you know, got into this deer hunting a bit here and there and hunted them in Texas a little bit um, at a big ranch and then, you know, here at the property and stuff. I found out that it's a different game. You got to have a little different patience level. And it's, uh, you know, and I admire guys that, you know, will will go for those trophies and spend days, weeks, months, years to get. Because, uh, you know, and I, I'm just being honest, it's just tough for me to, to be that focused and patient, you know. But uh, it is exciting when they do show themselves, I'll tell you that. You know, mm-hmm. the old buck fever sets in and you're <laughs> wound up. But I I have to admit, my son, he loves it. He loves to hunt here. And, you know, he looks forward to it every year. And he's got a bunch of big bucks. And I've shot a lot of nice bucks, too, some pretty good ones and that. But I'm not that driven on it. The irony is, is it's almost like um, I get as much thrill seeing a buck um, as I would shooting it. And that probably makes me not a buck master. You know what I mean? That makes me more of a guy that just enjoys being out there sort of in the nature. But but obviously that buck's got to show up pretty soon because if I had to sit there for a couple of weeks and I was trying to get a show shot, I'd probably end up, uh, you know, uh jumping out of the tree stand or something it uh it's 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 you know you gotta i always you know when guys tell me about their their deer hunting and and various big game hunting and how many days they spend at it they're a different animal and you guys i you know maybe the same you might be in that category and i admire that it's just i know i don't have that patience but I, it's not that I, I, you know, I uh, put down anybody who does it. I admire them because it's uh, it's pretty awesome. But yeah, I, you, I, have I, to, I, you have I, to come elk hunting, Bob. Oh yeah, it's definitely there's a there's a run and gun element to it. It's it, oh, is there? Yeah, it, it's a, I've never been on really good musky fishing, but it's almost I'd imagine kind of like what hunting musky yeah. might might so you're be not like. Sitting and waiting. No, you're you're chasing and you're calling and you're trying to get them to come in and you're you're playing like this cat and mouse kind of exchange to, to try and convince a big bull that you're his worst enemy and he's gotta he's gotta come in and and fix you up. So what what you're saying is I got to do this diet two and a half times at that max, like that thirteen pounds. So 
26, another 33, 39. Okay, two times then. Two times, maybe I can get a little closer to fighting weight to get that elk hunting. That yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see, like, I always like uh, stalking, you know, that was fun. I mean, even in yeah. cornfields, sneaking up on, on mallards and stuff uh, when I was young. Uh, I used to love just crawling and, you know, inching forward and the, you know, there'd be like 50 ducks, you know, in a cornfield, like a cut, fresh cut cornfield feeding and, you know, you'd inch up and inch up and trying to get, you know, within 40 yards to get a shot at them is pretty interesting. It's not easy because they're pretty, uh, pretty leery uh, uh, birds, you know, and I used to like that. And I'm sure that would be very similar to, you know, stalking and calling these elk. I, I can't imagine. Now, I guess the uh, the prize is pretty good eating too, eh? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. That's uh, yeah. I would say probably like some of your your finest brook trout that you would have eaten on that that riverside there. So here here's a little trivia. My brother Wayne, he's nine years older, and he he did a lot of shows with me. But he's always been involved in other businesses. He's got the the aquaculture raising uh, rainbow trout. He's got fertilizer uh, business he's had for, gosh, over 40 years. He's got some Tim Horton franchises, all kinds of things going on. His diet is probably 75 to 90% wild game. Oh, brother. wow. Yeah, and he's, if you see the stature of him, he's taller and quite slender compared to uh, my portly figure. And uh, and it's I'm sure it's a, he cuts a lot of firewood. He's always active, uh, you know, turkey hunting, rabbit hunting, uh, duck, loves duck hunting, uh, deer hunting, um, moose hunting, hunts, hunts everything. But his, yeah, his freezer is full of wild game and he he eats a lot of wild game. And, and it shows just in, you know, he's a fit guy for his age. He's nine years older than I am. And, and that, and so there's something to be said about that too, you know, for the folks that, you know, might be against hunting or something is, you know, a wild game diet is, uh, is pretty good. It's pretty lean and mean, you know, I'm sure, uh, sure. It's not as good as all those chocolate bars. I eat. And chips and <laughs> <don't> hunt, but... <laughs> there's, there's definitely a few, uh, a few chocolate bars in the pack or some chips or something like that. When you're, when you're out in the field for a quick snack, but, uh, the, they yeah, the wild game is definitely pretty healthy and highly regarded. If you, you know how to cook it properly. So be, be careful about those candy bar wrappers. Okay. So yeah. shotgun hunt, we, we're back. Uh, we're back here. Like I'm literally, when I'm looking over here, I'm at home now and and probably the one stand I was in at this time is probably 400 yards as a crow flies from where I'm sitting in the house now back on the back of the property. I I hear a crack and it's slow. I hadn't seen a deer for a couple of days of the five day hunt. And I hear a twig crack. And of course, you know, you you go like this and, and you're just moving your eyes back and forth. And you know how it is. You don't want to move and everything. And I'm in a tree stand and Finally, about 10 minutes of me not making any sudden movements in that, I reach in my pocket. And you know those lifesavers that are individually wrapped, you know, and they're clear wrappers? I pull one out and I start to unwrap it. And about 40 yards in front, 40, 50 yards in front of me, um, it's all like, uh, um, you know, very thick hawthorns and stuff, bush here. And then there's an open field here in a fence row. And then there's a lane here that the deer can use. And then another trail over here. So it's like, it's like three highways coming into me on this one stand. Big buck, probably 10, 12 pointer. 
jumps out of the thick stuff that was right in front of me. Man, it might have been 30 yards in front of me, but it was so thick you couldn't see anything in it. Jumps into the 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 uh, little trail and just bolts off. I mean, I had no time to get a gun up. I didn't even have time to grab the gun. And it was because of that little wrapper I was unwrapping. It was all, that whole time for 10 minutes was in front of me, you know, 30 or 40 yards in the thick stuff. Couldn't see it and uh, bolted out. And I mean... I got more of a laugh out of that than shooting, you know, and I've shot, I think the best one was a 13 pointer. I shot the first year I hunted here and shot some other big bucks, but that thing there, I, I, to this day, I laugh uh, of watching it bolt off and, and I shake my head, you know, going, what are the odds of that thing? You know, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure it would have come out eventually on my right or on my left out of that thick stuff and been right there. But anyway, that was good. Everybody had a good chuckle of that uh, when we met up uh, after the morning set. And I told them my story about my rappers and, uh, and that, and uh, they, they believed it too, because they know how much candy I carry in my, uh, my jacket. <laughs> yeah. It's always like a, a tactic that I use when I, when things are slow, like, well, if I pull up my sandwich right now and take a couple of bites, there's sure to be something come rolling through right when I'm halfway through it. So it works fishing too. Uh, <laughs> one time it was uh, kind of choppy out and, and we got the little bicycle seat, you know, the front of our tournament boats then. And, and it was slow fish. My son was with me and that, and uh, he pulled out a sandwich and that, and all of a sudden, you know, we, uh we catch a fish and i lean on the chair remember sitting right on his sandwich and flattening that thing out he was so pissed off at me <laughs> i didn't know he laid it on the seat while he was getting the net and i think what i was doing is is uh, he netted and he might have been just done um might have been just going to throw it in a live or something and i was just re-rigging the plastic and i think i sat back and he goes dad you just sat in my damn sandwich <laughs> I don't think he ate it. I think he grabbed something else. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we uh, we have a lot of fun out there. But you're right; that sandwich trick works fishing too. Pull out, if the fish and slow pull out a sandwich, and but the middle part way through the sandwich, you're gonna for sure find out that all of a sudden a fish is gonna bite. You know, yeah, in the prime spot. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome, Bob. It's it's definitely been a little bit surreal chatting with you like tristan said we uh we grew up with you on on the tv and and uh you're probably one of the the most referenced fishermen when it came to been joking around either in the boat or the ice shack or whatever it might be so um played a pretty well, big you know, role you know, in, in I, our lives i uh i i laugh at some of the people that have imitated my demeanor over the years and uh and uh a guy sent me a picture the other day of a guy in a grocery store and and the guy wasn't wearing a hat and was sporting the uh the solar panel that I have <laughs> and it was he was in Turks and Caicos down in, in on an island there where he's got a place he says are you in the IGA right now and I looked I looked at I thought it was me too it looked like <laughs> a grocery shopper. I had to zoom right in on my iPhone and look at this text and go not me <laughs> well, he was he was if I was still doing the show, I would have hired that bugger to uh, fill in for me, be my stunt double. Yeah. <laughs> more tournaments. yeah. 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 Well, that's good. But yeah, it was uh, it, it's been good times talking to you guys. And uh hey, maybe we'll be out in the water next time and we'll we'll shoot the breeze in a boat instead. Yeah, that'd be pretty awesome. And tell Sheldon to get better too. I you know, I heard he's got the flu, so yeah, no we will. Yeah. 
Good luck on the diet there. Keep us posted. Hopefully it uh, it's as yeah, painless as possible. I'll, I'll shoot you an email and tell you if I if I put on weight, you know, I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to put 13 pounds. Yeah. On? 13. Yeah, it's pretty. I'm I'm actually getting nervous about it. I'm gonna leave here and go into the kitchen on the inside of the house to see what the, they were gonna start working on that cabbage, uh, onion, whatever soup and and the muffins, because that's the part you can eat as much as you want and then the rest of it's uh, every day it's something different you know mm-hmm. all this stuff so i'm getting a little nervous about like as much as fishing is eating so this is going to be torture boys i'm telling you <laughs> but i'll keep you posted if you don't recognize me next time well i'll say it worked then okay <laughs> ain't that the truth i'll be wasting away to a ton yeah <laughs> you get a good couple extra mile an hour out of your bass boat yeah no kidding <laughs> have fun in florida tight lines down there yeah okay guys well listen all the best to you okay and have a great uh, 2023 okay you too thanks so much bob Alrighty. see ya well that's it that's a wrap on 41 or 141 i should say and i think we gotta we owe we owe bob another huge thanks for coming on the podcast uh chase i don't know about you but like i just felt like we've we've had some really cool guests throughout the years and it just it i felt like we've we made it talking to bob there you know what i'm saying <laughs> i am uh definitely honored to have him on the podcast man it's I, like especially after listening to like the life that man leads and and uh how busy he is i feel like uh sliding into his schedule was something that uh doesn't come that easy you know what i mean yeah the other cool thing that really struck me too was that he said he had been with merc for what like 38 years or something like that basically since he got on god that's unreal hey yeah where where does that happen anymore you know what i mean yeah so for him to kind of i i think not only have a TV show for that long, but also like be in touch with business people for that long. It shows just kind of like the the quality of the the guy there. So yeah, definitely can't uh, can't thank you enough, Bob, for coming on. But uh, yeah, should we anything new in the store there, Sheldon? What's the scoop on on your end? Yeah, there's not much new in the store right now. Um, we've actually are just trying to go through it and revamp it. So I'm kind of hoping by February March we should have some whole bunch of new stuff and. Uh, kind of maybe a little bit of more of a new look we do have our cutting boards um that are done i just gotta get them picked up and get them to winnipeg so if you are looking for a cutting board dm us let us know because we can put one off the side they go quick other than that we got the normal stuff shirts hoodies uh hats you name it it's probably on there and check out catch and cook if you're going to be doing a lot of ice fishing this winter uh you can get catch and cook products from our store buy them individually or in packages of three so that's pretty cool. So check us out. That's panoramicoutdoors.com. Right on. And again, I guess I'm taking this over now. Grand finale. <laughs> Thanks for listening, folks. And uh, we'll catch you on the water, hopefully. Tight lines. What would Bob say? Bob would say, you know, I'm not even sure. I can't even pretend to be Bob. He's, he's such a such a power horse. Set the hook. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll catch you guys on the next one.